Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the woods, somehow the most terrifying and relaxing place on the planet. This is the In the Woods podcast a new show dedicated to interviewing everyday people who have experienced terrifying and unexplained things in the woods. If you like creepy stuff, and especially if you enjoy a nice hike through the woods, you've come to the right place. This is our launch episode, so if you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share the episode, tell a friend, and leave us a review on iTunes using the link below, or by searching... In the Woods, Strange and Terrifying Forest Encounters. Also, if you've got a creepy forest experience of your own and you want to be interviewed, email me at inthewoodsstories at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather write out your story for a chance to have it narrated on my Darkness Prevails podcast, send it to us at darkstories.org. I'm here with Jack, a camping guide who witnessed something bizarre in a Kentucky gorge late one night. How are you doing, Jack? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, been a little while since I've been out in the woods, Annie, but aside from that, I'm doing all right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you wind up in the woods out there? Uh, well, um, while I live in southern Ohio, some pretty ruralish town, I... Uh, any, any Midwest campers out there will have heard of a place called Red River Gorge. It's this huge park. Um, it's, it's deep in this like crevice uh, of Kentucky. Great place, you know, good trips, stuff like that. But my dad grew up down there before moving up to Ohio. And so one of his old friends from college had a guide service. Basically, it's, well, for people that don't really know what they're doing out there and don't want to get eaten by a bear or anything, so they... You know, pay us a couple bucks. They strap me and a couple other guys up with a bag and say, well, make sure they don't get eaten by anything. I bet it can be pretty intimidating having so many people rely on you. How many people do you guide at once? It depends on the group. Um, we get a lot of youth groups through there. Usually one or two adults, anywhere from 7 to 20 kids. All ages, all sizes. You'd be surprised the kind of people that, you know, decide they need someone to come with them. Yeah, that's something I don't think I'd be able to do myself. I'm not good with people, believe it or not. But anyway, you've had a very creepy experience in a Kentucky Gorge, huh? Say I have. Well, uh, tell us a, tell us your story. Uh, this happened a couple years ago. Back in 2016. I was 16 at the time when it happened. I'd been working with this guide service since I was 13. Like I said, my uh, my dad knew the owner. It's pretty usual stuff. The cabin that houses our outfitter is pretty deep within the gorge. We'd get caravans of, you know, stocked vans and trailers the like coming out all the time full of kids looking to get their getaway into the woods. 
Well, this particular evening, it was mid-August. I wasn't going back to school yet as I'd transfer schools. I had a little bit extra time. This would have been my last trip of the year. I was going to finish it out with a youth group who wanted three days of canoeing and camping on some private property that bordered on the gorge. So it was pretty normal. We, with, with the guide service, the outfitters, you go and, and you, you select a preset almost. It's kind of like doing a mission in a video game. You know, you, you decide what do we want to do with our kids? You know, how much do we want to pay for it? Is there any special equipment? And you, whatever. And you pick what you want and you, you go with it. So this particular trip was one of our more popular ones. Um, it was about three days worth of camping, canoeing, the like. And uh, it, was, it was a good trip. I did it many times. I knew the route like the back of my hand. It was pretty easy. So I, you know, understandably expected for a pretty nonchalant good end to the season. I was um, unfortunately wrong. In the gorge, you know, there, there's not a lot of access roads you can get to. So, you know, if you need supplies, water, whatever, you'd have to set it ahead of time. With a group this size, I'd say it was about 15 people. Three adults and the rest were just kids, anywhere from, I'd say, 8th grade to 5th grade. We had plenty of supplies we needed, right? So we and one of the other guides, whose name was Dale, a good friend of mine, I, st I still keep in contact with him. We'd go out with these two giant, you know, yellow toters from Walmart, lash them up in a tarp and stick them under a tree. Sometimes we'd, you know, use a bike lock, but... Nobody's really out there trying to get into it. Well, about mm, a day or so ahead of time, we loaded said Walmart toters into a old Jeep and uh, took it down to a river, loaded in a canoe, paddled it down the stream. We got oh, to about where we'd be on day two. Considering me and Dale, who'd done it a few times before, we, uh, we, we knew the river and we're not strangers to paddling it. We can cover quite a bit more than, you know, your church group can on a daily basis. So we got quite a ways in, about where we expected to be on the last day of our trip, or the evening beforehand, anywho. We set our toads, we get them down, and we're about to head back. And I noticed that, you know, the sloping banks of the river, you get a lot of muck and such. And it's awesome, you can point out to the kids, here's a deer track, here's a wolf track, here's a bird track. But there was one that I don't, I've never seen anything like it. I, I haven't since. It's hard to describe. It's, <laughs> I'd imagine it's kind of similar to the kind of track, you know, Big Bird from Sesame Street might leave if he was also carrying a wolf around. But About how big was it, would you say? Oh, well, I've got some meaty hands, and it, it was far bigger than my hand. Uh, I'd say it was about seven inches long by maybe four wide. That's a when good size. Deer, Sounds like a uh, hefty oh, yeah. animal. Uh, when you're tracking animals, you, you can tell certain things from their tracks. You know, not only where they're going, right, but you could also tell, you know, how big they are or how recent the track was left based on how far in it is pushed in the mud and how sharp it is. The longer it stays, the, the more dull it gets. Judging from this one, I'd say it was about a day old, maybe. 
still had its good corners to it, but but it was starting to get rounded out and had a little bit of water welled up in it. This was a deep track. I was shocked. It, it came up to maybe my second knuckle, which is inch and a half, inch and two inches maybe. I, I don't know. It it was it was pretty impressive. At this point, uh, was, if you could, about how much weight right. would you apply just from that tr- track? Uh, how, about how much would you estimate that animal would have to weigh? Well, I weigh about 180 pounds, and uh, my boot prints only sunk maybe three centimeters into the mud. It was fairly resilient mud. So I'd say that thing probably had to sit around, Jesus, 500 pounds maybe. Christ. Big animal. But yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's the kind I of mean, track it, you see immediately yeah. and think you're, you're going to oh, be creeped out yeah. like right away just from seeing right. that. Right. So I, I pointed out to Dale, and we, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, we uh, we weren't, let's say we weren't the most straight edge of kids. You know, We might have had some beers beforehand, but, you know, I digress. We had a laugh. It was funny. Yeah, we, we joked it off saying, oh, boy, it looks like we're going to get eaten not by a bear this time, but – you know, big bird, like I mentioned earlier, but we, if I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I was freaked out. I spend a lot of time out and about, you know, I'm pretty used to seeing weird stuff. That's just part of the, you know, the forest experience, I guess, but someone right about it. And I know that sounds clichéical, but I don't know. Hey, it's it's cliche right. for a reason, because when crap goes down, crap, right. crap goes down. Right. So, anywho. There's something there, and we we genuinely thought maybe someone was joking with us. You know, it, it's a depot we use pretty often, and that, that's the conclusion we came to. Well, we reloaded up after tying down the bins covered in their hmm, probably suspicious enough looking blue eight by ten tarps, bungeed them down, strapped them up to a tree, the usual stuff. So we get back into our canoes, paddled downstream. Eventually, we got to our junction where we met with another friend from the service, and he busted us up back to our jeep. You know, nothing eventful. You know, we, uh, the day came when we were to actually guide the trip. The way it would work is we'd take one of our vans from the outfitters, two of them for a group this big. One of them would have a trailer with all these canoes on it, and one of them would be stuffed full of people, and one of them would be stuffed full of people, and the other half would be packs. <laughs> They, uh, those vans were, they, they were big. We could cram quite a few people in them. We got to ride in the uh, front seats because, you know, we're the ones paid to be there, but I, I digress. Anywho, we're standing outside the cabins, getting all loaded up, and I'm, I'm reading the news and, um, just, just to get weather and the like. And I noticed that it, it hadn't rained. In about a week, this would mean that the uh, the water would be really low. Um, you know, it happens every now and again, but that just means that, you know, we take it from, you know, all day canoeing to, you know, maybe only one of the days is canoeing and one is dedicated to portaging, you know, where you pick up the canoe and you carry it with you. So me and Dale, who were kind of in charge of the trip, you know, late August, we get kind of swamped with all these, you know, people wanting to get their back to school trips in, you know. End of summer, ended with a bang, whatever. So it was just us. Usually it's actually it's it's usually five people. Um, you know, depending on the group size. Very rarely is it, it two. We were just kind of stretched a little thin. Um anywho, we loaded up, we drove to our drop off, 
unloaded, got all the canoes out, and got ready to launch. We, because of only the, you know the two of us being there, one of us would have to be at the back in a canoe on their own, and one of us would have to walk downstream and get picked up by the other one. You know, usually we'd have one person in the front, one in the back, but we just couldn't have that. So we decided that it was better to get one person in the front to ensure that, you know, nothing happens up front that needs us to, you know, change a route, whatever. And we designated one of the adults that was with the group to stay in the back to make sure no one got left behind. Anywho, Dale took a hold of the canoes, the packs, all that, and got about getting everybody set, giving them the quick talk about, you know, this is how you canoe, this is how you move your paddle, here's how to not, you know, flip it and get in the water and all that. The safety talks, you know, the whole liability thing. Of course, they'd already signed plenty of papers, but we still had to do it just to make sure the trip went smoothly, we, we didn't get slowed down. There's a lot of fine details to run an operation like this. I'll, I'll try not to bore you with too many of them, but, you know. you know. I started down towards the river along the banks, you know, the same kind of mud as the day before. I didn't see any more tracks, but I noticed that there was a shockingly low amount of, of tracks, actually. I, I Usually with a, a bank like that, you know, with there not being too many rivers in the area, you know, you'll see all kinds of life, deer, you know, this, that's, the others, but there was practically none. My boot prints looked rather lonely on their own. What were you thinking was going on? Well, with, whenever that happens, you know, there's a drop in the wildlife, it means something's not right. That's usually like, you know, the weather isn't right. I thought maybe, you know, because the creek had been so low, possibly they'd tried somewhere else. I, that didn't really make any sense to me at the time. I just, um, I, I don't know. I just, it kind of put me on edge. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of people who experience strange things talk about, you know, how the woods go quiet. And that's for a reason. Animals have this almost sixth sense effect to them. You know, they, they can realize when something is wrong, uh, react appropriately. You know, in, in, in the days before a tsunami, you know, all the animals will head upstream or away from the water source, you know, whatever like that. Anywho, it just kind of gave me this weird feeling that I, I really couldn't shake for the whole time. And, uh, yeah, it, it really put me on edge from the get-go. But we got loaded up, and uh, we started down the creek. With things like this, usually it's we give them some space to give them the feeling of, you know, the grand adventure. But we stick pretty close, just a little downstream. We make sure, you know, there's no logs across and nothing in the way, anything like that. But, uh, honestly, with the whole thing that happened with the, the deer tracks, I or the lack thereof, rather, I honestly thought this would be a terrible trip for me. And to my surprise, it was great. I had a wonderful time. Usually, when I'm working on things like that, you've always got some poor fifth grader who's never touched a glass of water, let alone a creek, who flips himself three times every 30 seconds. But to my surprise, no, they, they did great. It's almost like they'd, you know, they'd done it before, which they, they may have. And I was just... It's, it's just weird. It's unusual for us to have a trip where we can actually enjoy ourselves. The first day went without hitch completely. We paddled down the creek maybe 30 or so miles for the day, which is a decent length uh, considering the uh, the movement of the creek was in our favor. and It was going pretty okay. 
Um, we got relatively down. We were actually about five miles ahead of where we'd planned to stop for the night. So we, we decided to take it a little slower, and uh, we traveled another little bit down the way to get to one of our campsites. We got there about an hour or two later, and, and because we had traveled so fast and overshot our first campsite, we, we were a little late, honestly. It was getting dark. The sun was setting. You know, the water got that gold look to it, you know, when the sun's in it. And, uh, you know, we unloaded, pulled all the canoes up and out, got everybody out, passed around the towels from the bin of the guideboat we'd bought. And, uh, yeah, we, we started to set up camp. It was, it was really nice. Anywho, the next day we'd gotten up, started cooking breakfast, getting everything reloaded. When you do things like this, you know, there's a deadline. You have to get going. There's the set schedule, like I said. You pay for a preset, and that's what we do. So so I knew that, you know, if we don't get on the river, we won't have much time to cover, you know, to this length, to get to here, to get to there. So we started packing up, get going. Had a small injury before we took off, but nothing major at all. It was a pretty uneventful day. It was like all other trips, really. Paddle a little bit, cover some canoeing skills, say something about some plant easy stuff we were heading to the end of the trip um three because of the river right we were we were going to spend some time on a private ranch that, that bordered on the area we, we had land rights to it you know the guy let us go on there said it was all right you know whatever so we were just going to spend some time there the ranch itself was an outdoors club that, that we'd paid a subscription to uh, it had all kinds of stuff on it. At one point in time, I think it was even had like cabins for some kind of scout camp or something like that. You find these weird like structures of just, you know, wooden, decrepit, falling down, rotting, climbing towers and cabins and shooting ranges, the like. It honestly gave me a very creepy vibe, but I'd never had any reason to, you know, act on my feelings of, you know, discomfort from the area until everything happened. We were getting towards the end of the second day, and we were still about 10 miles behind where we needed to be. It was maybe 3 p.m. at this point. We'd spent a little extra time on the lunch skill section, and I knew we needed to get going. We ended up pulling into where we needed to be by the time the sun had already been down. That being the case, we were kind of, you know, frantic to, all right, let's get set up so we can have a decent sleep to continue for the next day. Myself and the other guy on the trip, Dale, had set about trying to find the stash we'd left the day before. It was maybe a mile or so down the river, not very far, just into some cove we'd used before. It was easy stuff. We just had to paddle down, grab it, and find a way to get back upstream, usually by carrying it. We set off to do that It'd been dark already. It must have been pushing 11 or so. We'd already had everything set up, and all we needed to do was recover the supplies and return to the campsite. Canoe, flashlights in hand, and all that. And we got down to where the supplies should have been. We started looking and looking and looking more. We really couldn't find anything. We looked at each other in confusion thought perhaps we'd missed our stop, so we drug the canoe all the way back up to the top of where we started and went all the way back through, but still nothing. The supplies were just gone. 
At this point, are you starting to feel not so alone out there? Definitely. It was it was a weird. It's clichéical to say that it felt like we were being watched, but that's that's really how it felt. It wasn't so much as that we were being watched, that maybe there was a counterpart. It never felt like someone was with us, but it always felt like someone was there, if that makes any sense at all. Strange. I, I haven't really had anything like that happen. I've never had that same feeling. Go on. We, uh, anywho, right, after determining that, you know, the supplies were simply gone, we needed to find something out, because we needed that food for the next day. We ended up having to recall, you know, get, getting our radios out, radioing into base camp, and saying, listen, you know, we need some emergency supplies. We'd keep things on hand like that, in case of flooding, whatever, swept away our stash. So I ended up not sleeping very much that night, nor did Dale, because we had to get to the rendezvous, drag it all back. By the time everything was said and done, it was maybe 3 a.m. We crashed into our tents and had to get up by 4 to oversee the morning routine of everybody. That's just part of that whole job, I suppose. But it was a very uneasy feeling that night. You know, laying in my tent, I... I <laughs> I came to the realization that, you know, if, if something were to happen out here, our radios, they're not always on us. They take some setting up to do. It would be interesting to have to do that on, like, an emergency shortwave, you know, get them and go kind of deal. I don't know if we could have done it if there was a genuine threat out there with us. Now, an injury, something like that, sure. But a hurry case, that would have been different. Warning was pretty uneventful. We cooked some food. If I recall, we had some bacon and eggs. It was a good time. The supplies we had were not as much as I had hoped them to be, but nonetheless sufficient. And I'd say it was a pretty good day, at least for the morning. Most of the kids got up a lot later than normal, considering we didn't have any paddling to do for that day. Maybe around 7-ish. Some of the adults were up earlier, drinking coffee, laughing, sitting around the campfire. Like I said, me and the other guide were up at 4 overseeing, you know, the activities for the day, planning out what we want to do. We decided we'd have a game of uh, freeze tag in the woods. This was something we did pretty often if we had a younger group, like the youth group we were leading, and we needed to kill some time. The ranch we were on was bordered in by a fence line, so it's not like anyone could have got lost out there. And even if they did, you know, there was a very small area for us to be able to find them. That being said, we had them all sit down and Explain to them what we were going to do, don't go past this fence, you know, always be with one other person, and laid out the parameters of the game. Myself and Dale would walk around to ensure that nobody was hurt and that everything went well. It was a great time, usually. So, we played this for a little while in the morning. I'd say for about four hours or so, we traipsed around the woods, the kids had a good time, laughter filled the air. It was a great time. It, it really was. I keep saying that but because it's true. I mean, trips like these, you know, yeah, they were just, they were nice, you know? It, it was an escape for people who, you know, maybe didn't have the skills to do the same thing for themselves. It was an awesome time. Making some decent memories. Was, oh, yeah, totally. I I wish that all the the weird parts of of that job were not as 
prevalent as they ended up being because, you know, it to a degree, it'll never be the same. I I love that job and I don't I don't know if we'll ever go back to working it, but it was it's hard to ignore some of the strange things that happened. Right. Things like, you know, weird sounds, this, that, and the others, people who said they saw one thing and people who said they saw a completely different thing and little things like that. You know, up until this point, I just kind of accepted that that was part of what happened. It was this trip, really, that, that kind of shook that foundation of what I was thinking. Broke the was, camel's back, uh, I guess. Right, I suppose, yeah. Uh, until then, I could explain it all away. What ended up happening that that screwed all this up for me happened later that night. We stopped playing the games around oh, maybe one or so to start eating lunch. We prepared sandwiches and various accoutrements and sat around. Myself and Dale told some stories and taught some skills. The adults had some Sunday service thing that they had done with their uh, the group. And they just kind of hung around the campfire for a bit. This gave myself and Dale some time to just talk. And we started to really realize how bizarre it was that everything had happened with, you know, the supplies that were missing. You know, we genuinely could not think of a reason why that had happened. You know, things like that don't just happen. This was not a very popular river we were on. You, know, you didn't get a lot of people out there. With with the way outfitters worked, there were maybe, oh, I'd say four of them on this particular river. But, you know, our guys would stay on this part of the river and, you know, their groups would stay on this section of the river to avoid traffic and all that. So it, it just really rang home that that was bizarre and that should not have happened. And there's a lot of tension building at this point between me and him. And uh, we knew that we, we'd have to, uh, you know, keep this on the down low to make sure nobody freaks out because, you know, we can't have customers scared, freaking out unless we're telling a campfire story, you know. So we we decided that we would try to keep this as minimally impacting of the trip as we could. We'd try not to talk about it, try not to give off our air of being nervous that I'm sure we truly did. But it, it was going to be interesting. Later that night, we were trying to find some kind of activity to keep people close in. We didn't really see any issue with spreading out to play games, but... What well, with it getting dark, we couldn't really go anywhere near the river. Some of the kids insisted that we do what we had done earlier, play the freeze tag game where we ran about the woods. We talked about it for a bit and decided ultimately that it wasn't such a terrible idea. You know, with the fences and all that, we sat everyone back down, made sure, you know, everybody knew what they were doing. Everybody had a flashlight and a buddy to go with them. And I figured it'd probably be a memory of a lifetime for these kids. Back when I was in scouting, uh, a pretty similar organization. We used to do stuff like this, and it was awesome. It, it really, really, truly brought out some good competitiveness and, you know, the creepy factor of being around at night and just getting to sneak around and all that. It was awesome. So we decide, all right, let's do it. We walked them out to where we'd started before and started the game. It was it was fun. It really was fun. I, I, I know I keep saying that it was fun, and I, I have to iterate again that, you know, it, it was. <laughs> I, I, I'm not plugging our guide service or anything by saying that, but it the, the whole goal of my job and Dale's job was to make sure that this went as smoothly as possible for the people involved. 
And, you know, I think we did a great job of doing that, not to you know, pat myself on the back or anything, but there was a facade, a facade of, of thinking that, you know, if we just continue on like everything was normal, that it wasn't weird that we'd heard the sounds and heard the seen the tracks and the supplies were missing. If we just pretended like none of that happened, it didn't. That kind of came to a halt. At, during the game, we we were walking around the eastern gate or fence line of the property where we were playing the game, and one of the groups ran right up to us. Two younger kids, I'd have to say maybe eight or seven, I'm not sure, each clutching a flashlight, pale as could be. They ran right up, breathing heavily. I thought maybe they'd ran far, but they started spitting out something about a thing, a, a deer, it sounded like, uh, said the smell, something, something. We tried to calm him down, but there was nothing to it. Eventually, we conceded on, take us to whatever it was. They nodded and took off back towards the woods. We followed, and kind of panicking, we, we thought maybe someone was hurt. It, it truly sounded like someone had maybe fallen or kicked a tree branch or twisted an ankle or something, but whatever it was had clearly shaken these kids we we rapidly approached a clearing i knew about from our looking the day before to see if it was you know good for the game and i i had noticed at the time that something was bizarre about the clearing it shouldn't have been the type of clearing it was with clearings in woods they're naturally occurring most of the time especially where we were you know nobody was out there logging or anything like that so the plant life and all that should not have made a clearing there. I'm I'm still not sure why it did. But as we approached, the first thing that hit me was was the smell. I uh I I've been around, you know, death a couple times before, be that your your car crash or I've been hunting before and deer and the like. Death has a smell. And it's anyone that smelled it can tell you exactly what it smells like. It's not something you forget. It took maybe a second or two to realize that's that. That's what that is. I knew something was was not right. I, I glanced over to Dale. He had the same expression on his face. We got closer and the kids slowed down and pointed towards the clearing where a small lump lay. We weren't sure what it was given that it was dark. So I dug out a flashlight from my pockets and shined it on it. It was shiny, unnaturally so for, you know, a deer. Generally, they, they have fur, they're not shiny, but this one, I described the position it was in, save for maybe awkward and unnatural. Like if you were to take a stuffed animal and toss it against the floor, it it looked like it'd fallen from the sky. It was twisted and mangled, and the antlers had its head propped up and against the ground, and it was covered in, I, I assume, its own viscera. It, so you would say it, what, it didn't seem like a natural kill? Oh, it's it's like something had thrown it. I, it's, it was bizarre. It, it was mangled and twisted and crashed and scratched and cut. Now, at this point... We got closer... Um, have you, 
had any inklings of maybe you guys should call it quits for the day or maybe send the troop back? Oh, this was our first issue. Our first genuine issue that that might cause us to shut down the game, and and we did soon thereafter. But up until then, nothing genuinely serious had happened, and you have to understand that when you're this far out to where we were, just leaving is not always an option or a quick option. It was getting late at this point, so if we were to say, you know, we have to leave here, that would involve undoing all of the tents, all of the campsite, getting the fire out, reloading the canoes, finding some way to light the river well enough so that we could get, you know, less experienced canoers onto, you know, the river. The river was not especially calm at this point either. It, like I said, it was kind of shallow and we, we couldn't have continued down it super well either. We'd have to portage out carrying them. So just, you know, up and leaving was not necessarily an option. If we had to, uh, we might have been able to, but it it wasn't like it could have just happened. Right, so if you immediately left, the troop could still be followed by whatever was out there. Right. It's not like we could have moved quickly or anything. No. It, you were basically trapped in a situation that you did not see coming. No one would see that coming. So go ahead and continue Wait. your story. Right. I, I, uh, what, what freaked me out the most about the encounter with the deer, the first deer, was that it makes sense. The facade, like I discussed, of, of, you know, explaining away what had happened was just, it was impossible. Number one, the deer itself, why would it have ended up like that? with, you know, shattered, mangled, crunched-up corpses. You know, nothing in this area would have done that. The only thing that possibly could have would be a wolf. There were no bears in the area, and, you know, bears and wolves, if they kill something, they'll eat it. They won't leave it there scratched up. They'll eat their kill. Bears will sometimes drag it off, but like I said, there were no bears there. And wolves, they would have eaten it instantly. Otherwise, other ones would have. The only other possibility was that it was shot by a hunter, given that we were on a hunting reserve. But, again, why would a hunter have paid for a subscription to a hunting club, a conservation club, and just left a kill out there like that? Let alone no brutalize one takes, the kill. Right. No one who takes conservation seriously enough to purchase a subscription to a club for it would ever think about doing something that horrific and wasteful. We we decided that we would leave the the corpse of it alone and just call off the game, head back to the campsite, try to calm down the nerves of the, the two that had found it. We told them that it was wolves, but we, we knew that wasn't it. We gathered everyone back up after maybe five minutes or so, and I'd hoped that maybe the two wouldn't, you know, spread around all they'd heard and all that, but, well, boys, you know, being boys, they, they went ahead and did that just fine. All kinds of rumors and scary stories were being spread around. We had a mess on our hands. If everybody went back saying they'd been stalked by some forest monster, how would that look for our business? It would have been devastating. We decided that the best course of action was to make up a story. 
you know, that, that sounds awful, but we couldn't have these kids thinking there was some monster out there, even if there was some monster out there. We had to tell them something to get them to stay calm at least long enough for us to get them out there the next day. We gathered them around the campfire and said that we understood some things that happened that night. We said that, well, you know, that happens. Sometimes wolves will kill deer, and that's just the way of life. And we even went on to tell some stories about wolves and deer and the creatures of the forest and all that. I could tell some of them weren't convinced. Myself, I wasn't convinced. I knew Dale wasn't either. But nonetheless, it was late. And we knew if we were going to get them to calm down at all, it was best to send them off to bed. So we made the announcement that we'd be packing it in for the night. You know, we'd set to the task of cleaning up dinner, put out the lanterns, and made sure all of them were quietly asleep. This left me and Dale still awake. It was... Regardless of what or who or what, just what had happened to that creature, it was, it was a liability that something with that capability was out there and we didn't know about it. We figured maybe it was just some poacher, maybe a trespasser who'd taken things too far and done some strange things in the woods. It was hard to explain it. And each explanation we had seemed more ridiculous than the last. We came to the conclusion that it would only be safe if we were to make sure that throughout the course of the night, nothing were to happen. We it up with some, some flashlights, grabbed a bag, filled it with anything we figured we might need, and decided we'd spend some time out in the woods that night. We made sure one of the adults who was still awake at the time knew that the campsite was to be on lockdown and no one was to leave as per the usual night and to expect us back by maybe midnight or one if they were still awake. From then, we would watch the campsite. We headed out with our flashlights in hand, be it every squirrel and stick falling and leaf and every crunch of sound everywhere. It was... One of the strangest feelings I've ever had. Since I was a kid, you know, the woods has always been kind of my refuge. You know, to this day, if, if I've got problems or I'm stressed, I'll take off into the woods and it, it calms my nerve. Never have I ever felt so alone or like prey. It was bizarre. I, it was, I've, I can honestly say I, I've not been the same since. Gone out in the woods pretty late, I'd say, and darkness having fallen, it was dark. It was really dark. I, strangely so. This particular era had a decent little pine forest that had been cultivated, you know, having it been a conservation club and all that, and that's where we played most of our games earlier. So we decided to head for the pine forest, and Maybe set up shop out there, wait for a bit, see if we could hear anything. Pine forest at night. It's... It's... If you're gonna have a nightmare, it might just take place there. Because of how... 
the pine trees, any evergreen tree, will always keep their needles. They'll never truly lose all of them. So it creates a, a bubble of darkness around it, no matter what the season is. It blots out the sun, especially at night when the light is, you know, very, very dim. So we, we made our way into the little cove out there, and, and we packed with us a tarp. And uh, we, we got pretty deep into it, found a little thicket, uh, crawled into it, set up the tarp above us, and laid down for a bit. We were just sit there in the dark and listen. That was, that was our main goal. We wanted to hear if there was anything out there. With as still as a forest is at night, we would have known instantly. An hour passed. I have to admit I fell asleep a couple times in the hour, but I don't know how. I was on edge every time that I was awake. I ended up drinking some coffee, cold, that I'd packed from the campsite, just in an effort to stay awake. Dale was in a similar position. He had a small book he was reading by his dim flashlight he'd covered with some aluminum foil to keep from shining too brightly. It was... It was strange. We felt like both hunters and the hunted... We were nestled down into our little thing we'd built, our little hideout, I suppose. But it still felt like we were the ones waiting for something to show up. And maybe that something that was showing up was waiting for us to do the same. Bizarre feeling. All of it was, really. It it was quiet. There, there was nothing out there but us. I feel you. It's hard not to be scared in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the night, especially when something so weird is going on. Right. And, you know, myself and Dale had both spent a lot of time out there. You know, we'd always had the woods be a part of us. We'd always, you know, been out since we were just kids, like I said. And never before had we really felt so strange. It, It almost felt like we were aliens on a foreign planet like this was someone else's domain kingdom and and we were just trespassers upon it it was it was a very hard to describe feeling yeah i'd say if the avid outdoorsmen are starting to feel scared in the outdoors there's something up well speaking of something up pushing towards 3 a.m maybe 2 30 or so I awoke to Dale shaking me. I, I don't, I don't know what what had set him off. He said it was a smell. I didn't know a smell could be so strong that to wake you up. My head and leaned up out of the blanket I had covering me. He was saying, "Do you smell that?" Over and over, and I said, "What? What are you talking about?" I wasn't awake really. I shook my head a couple times, took a drink of water, and stood up out of the tarp. And it hit me again. The same putrid, invasive smell of of death and and viscera was coming back through all of the trees again. And I knew instantly that's what it was. I I I woke straight up. I it got me going instantly. I I I we got up out of the tarp, grabbed our bags, flicked on our headlights, flashlights. We were in full, like, handle the situation mode. 
emergency mode, I suppose. Any guide or, or anyone who spends time out there, if someone gets hurt, they go into that mode where they're get the stuff done, no, no crap, instantaneous go, go, go mode. And that's where we were. I haven't been that deep there since, and I hadn't before. Both of us, I could tell, were just ready to, you know, have some creature come charging out of the woods at us. It was, it was strange. We started moving to see if we could find the source of the smell, and it it didn't take long. It was so strong that hunting down whatever it was was no more a matter than following the comfortable feeling we had. It got more and more pervasive and intense as we walked. Eventually we came upon yet another strange and jagged clearing that that almost looked like it had been burnt into the earth. You know, there were no signs of, of scorching or anything, but something about it just seemed so strange. It's like if you were to walk into your bedroom one day and the ceiling fan was on the floor. Something was just bizarre, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Middle of the clearing, for the second time now, glum. We knew instantly what it was without even shining our lights on it. Same smell working its way up through our noses. Walked over to it just to see, you know, had this one. And it was. It was worse. I, I don't. I don't like thinking about it too much, but the best way I can think to describe it without getting too graphic would be as as if if the superhero Wolverine had had a fight with it. It was carved up. It was ripped apart, and and it wasn't teeth. No, it, it teeth leave a, a cut mark, a jagged edge, a, a rough part. This was surgical. The, the, something had done this. Some kind of some sharp had cleaved through it with enough power to chop through the organs, the bones, everything. It was spilled all over the place. The poor deer had a frozen, deathly look on its face as, as if someone had scared it. I'm sure it did. It makes me really uncomfortable to think about how terrified it must have been right before it died. Glanced each other and he vomited. I about did as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
kicked both of us out well and truly we we made our way back to our our outpost and took it down quickly either one of us spoke a word we didn't want to talk about that at all on our way we 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 came to the realization each of us on our own without speaking that something needed to be done we couldn't just head back and fall asleep and pretend like it didn't happen that that wouldn't work anymore we had to do something yeah you wouldn't want one of the kids to end up as a wolverine's next victim we decided that we we figured that the best thing we could do at the time was to try and figure out what was happening so from there we could figure out why it was happening and in turn what we could do about it we figured that if we were to try and maybe move our, our area to a to a better spot maybe a hill of some kind hear what it was or, or even see it I had a pair of binoculars in my bag and there's a hill not too far from the, the campsite a very steep hill you know, this area, this park is very famous for its tall, curving limestone walls that border on these grand massive canyons with beautiful rivers flowing underneath we figured if we could find one that, that wasn't steep enough, we could get up it and maybe use a folding shovel or something to, to pick ourselves some, some seats into the side of the hill. Gone up to where we thought that might work, and it was about a thousand or so feet from where the campsite was. I'd say for sure, because I couldn't see it directly, but I could still see the glow of the fire through the trees. Someone had kept it going. Gone up onto the hill, got to work making our little encampment, feeling like little soldiers carving our way into a trench. We got set up, got hunkered down, I got out my binoculars, and we switched off all our lights. This time, neither of us drifted off. Dale couldn't even bring himself to get his book out. We just sat there still as a statue, looking, waiting, listening for anything, anything that could indicate you know, what in the world was happening. And for only maybe 30 minutes before we started to get something of an answer, we, with the way we were facing, we were facing east, and uh, the site was northeast towards us. Behind us, the cliff we were on was a bit of an outcropping, so, so it curved back and around towards the west side. With, with the way these things are shaped... They're almost like radar dishes. If you stand at the base of, of one waterfall and shout, hey, to your friend, he'll hear it a mile away. So we knew that if we were going to hear something, it would be there. And hear something we did. It wasn't uncommon to hear coyote packs or, or wolf packs out there. And you'd hear them bark and yip. and you know, They really weren't any danger to us. Coyotes are scared of most things, and wolves won't attack a group of our size, and they usually won't attack a person unless it's the dead of winter and they're very hungry. So we sat up there, and here came the wolves. 
The howls echoed off the sides of the canyon. It was creepy, sure, but it was nothing unusual. It, we were used to the sound by now, and to a degree it was almost comforting. There was something so normal about hearing a, something we'd heard before, something natural, on a night that seemed everything but natural. Approached from the distance, and we tried to see if we could spot them. We're sitting atop our cliff, and the howls were echoing to us, and out of out of nowhere, there was one howl that something was not right. It, I, I can't even begin to describe it. Raspy, unusual, hoarse. It, it rattled me so hard that I dropped my binoculars. They shattered, bounced down the cliff. Both of us sat dead still. Needless to say, this was a sound you didn't recognize. Something wasn't right. It wasn't a wolf. And if it was a wolf, this wolf, something was not right with it. It almost sounded kind of like a scream, but we began to realize one of the huge reasons why we felt it was so unnatural because it was so much louder than all the other ones. The other wolves yipped and howled, and this one shrieked and screamed. The wolf pack and whatever this thing was were together, but something was something was not right. It was so much louder than all the rest. Didn't know what to do. For the first time, we truly, truly, truly were at a loss for what to do. Tried to figure out perhaps where the sounds had came from, but it was no use. With all the echoes, we, it wasn't, we weren't able to tell. At this point, it was maybe four or so in the morning. We'd have been up by now anyways, and given that it was nearly our second night without sleep, we were starting to feel it. After about... 20 minutes have of the howls having subsided, we finally managed enough energy or, or gut to even talk. Neither one of us could form truly coherent sentences, but we still came to the conclusion that we had to go. We had to go. We, we headed back down the side of the cliff. I didn't even think to recover the binoculars. I was too focused on the task at hand made no hesitation in getting back to the campsite. We were both so freaked out that panic mode wasn't even beginning to describe it. At this point, um, it was hard for us to care what the customers were thinking of what was happening. We just wanted to get them out of there. But we decided that the best way for us to do that would be to make sure they weren't panicking as well. So about 50 feet from the campsite, we stopped, caught our breath, calmed ourselves, put ourselves back together as best we could, and walked into the campsite with our best calm and cool demeanor. We made up a lie about increase in the waters and that there was a storm coming and and we needed to get out quickly. It wasn't an emergency, but, you know, we must, we had to leave to make sure we could get out the next, you know, whatever. We, We woke everyone up, at this point, it was maybe 4.45. We 
Most of the kids were not very happy about having to get up so early. Nonetheless, we, we, got them, we got them loaded up. We got their lights on, everything ready to go. Explained what was happening, that the storm was coming in or, or whatever. And set out down the road. We, we, we couldn't get out by river anymore. So we had to take some, some back trail, some, some dirt road on the, the conservation club. I knew the road. I had ridden a four-wheeler down it before. We were actually supposed to meet a, a rendezvous point about halfway down it for a shuttle to come get us, to carry the canoes the rest of the way and some of the people as well. We dug out our radios while we were moving, somehow managing to carry both the canoe full of our stuff and some extra, as well as fidget around with our somewhat cohesive radios, and called in to the service that we were going to be a bit earlier than expected. They were surprised, you pretty understandably so, that, that we were coming out so early. We weren't scheduled to be picked up until 8. Fortunately, they were up and running and had thought maybe this would be the case. There was actually some weather coming in, as it turns out. And they dispatched to get us. Unfortunately, because of the positioning of where we were, it would still maybe be another hour before anyone else joined us. We made our way down this road, carrying our canoes, awkwardly dragging them along for some of them. We had to stop a couple times to let some of the younger members catch their breath. Some of them, well, most of them really, were still quite sleepy, myself included. We didn't get much sleep two days ago, and we didn't get any sleep this time. We wondered if there would be any disparities about leaving earlier than expected, but hoped we could defend it with the weather story. We made our way down this dirt and gravel road that winded through the dark forest of the very early morning light of being both hunter and hunted. That same feeling of the ceiling fan on the floor, that same feeling of a Martian on another's planet hit us again. I looked around. I could tell most of the people in the group felt the same. Dale, in particular, started to breathe a little bit quicker. I gave him a look saying, well, just try to act like it didn't happen. It didn't work, clearly. We, with all that had happened, it, it was hard for us to put up that same facade that we were paid to do so, I suppose. The only noise is being the crunch of boots and shoes against the occasional bit of gravel or the occasional leaf or stick across the path. The forest was kind of similar to that of a sound wave in that the trees got closer and farther and closer and farther as we walked along. I knew there wasn't much along this place, just some old paths from some forgotten shooting range, I believe. Nothing that, nothing that was at all of interest to us. But something was wrong. Something was off. Something was, something was different about this road. If we were to stop walking at any moment, the floor would fall out or the, the sky would fall in or 
somebody would spring out of the woods with a deranged axe murderer bit and chop us all to pieces. Something just felt imperative that, that we continued to keep our steady pace of, of walking and, and carrying the canoes. I don't know what it was, but it put me on edge. Even more so than I was. I, I was sure that soon I'd be so on edge that I, I'd fall over the edge. I I decided that if we were to stop, something bad would happen. I don't know what made me feel that or, or think that or what made me even give that idea, but it just felt so truthful, so undeniably honest that if we were to stop walking, everything would fall apart. Reality would shatter. It, it was such a sure, genuine feeling. I've never felt so sure about something in my life. I, I confided in Dale after walking a bit faster to catch up and get out of earshot. He said that, strangely enough, he felt the same way. We decided it would be best if one of us went back to tell some of the people at the back that we'd have to keep our pace up if we wanted to make it out before the storm hit or some story like that, and to avoid stopping. We walked and we walked and walked. Before, we'd only maybe gone half an hour before stopping. Carrying a canoe as well as a backpack is, is no easy task, especially for young kids. Fortunately, we, we brought some of the lighter canoes with us, some of the more modern fiberglass ones. Walking, I could tell that some of the kids needed a break, desperately. They were getting tired, complaining, mumbling, needed water, this, that, feet hurt. But I couldn't shake the feeling that it would all go wrong if we stopped. It came to a point where I knew that we had to stop, or some kid would roll an ankle or get a blister and we'd <laughs> have no other option but to carry him out. So, so I came to Dale and got his opinion on it. He said he agreed, but we needed to do it in a way that made sure everything was okay. The best course of action we decided was that he would stay up front, I would return to the back, and both of us would be on high alert mode for the entirety of our small break. I turned around and announced to the group that we'd have a small five-minute break, they should get some water, make sure their feet were okay, but we'd be back on the road quickly. I made my way back to the back of the group. Dale took up his position at the front, setting down his canoe, set down their packs and boats, leaned against them, took off their shoes, whatever, ate some beef jerky, the typical hiking break stuff. None of that for me or Dale. Both of us were eyes wide. For as sleep-deprived as we was, that was an achievement in itself. We walked back and forth, pacing the back of the corners of the group and the sides, like two sentries on guard against some incoming surprise attack, some ambush waiting to happen. And that's almost what happened about into the group one of the kids came up to me and said that he needed to go to the bathroom that he needed to walk off the trail for a bit immediately red lights began flashing in my brain that no we can't have that he'll get hurt something will happen 
Again, no reason why, but just something wasn't right. Say, no. So, the kid, I told him that not to go too deep in, that I'll stay at the edge of the woods and to just be as quick as he could. He nodded and took off towards the woods. We made our way out there, maybe only oh, 30 feet or so from the group, and he began to do what he needed to, and I turned around and watched from behind us. It was finishing up, got everything back together, came up to me to say that he was ready to head back when this noise started emanating out. The ground that we were on was something called loam. It's almost like a carpet. Um, it's, it's very soft plant matter. It's great for biking on, but for walking on it, it can be kind of squishy and throw you off balance. It was the sound of it tearing. Like someone was wrapping a Christmas present or tearing off some cling wrap and their paper had just so happened to be what we were standing on. It's like if all of it just had a giant knife ran over it all at once. And then there was this squishing sound. I, I, I can't think of a better way to describe it. it. It's like if you were to take a, a cheap steak and just beat it with a hammer. It, it was bizarre. Like something hitting something over and over and over. I glanced at the kid who, who was not, to my surprise, panicked. At, a, at all he he was just tugging on my sleeve you know saying he's ready to go back I, I looked at him shocked and confused and he looked at me with a very similar look I asked him if he heard anything still trying not to be deafened by the strange tearing and smacking noises but he said he hadn't heard anything this broke it this was the straw on the camel's back this put me into an absolute just shutdown mode. I told the kid to go back in a probably a curt, too rough of a tone for a kid his age, but I sent him back and very quickly walked, glancing backwards all the time. I got up to Dale and told him we had to get out, now. He knew what had happened, I'm sure, and knew that it, it, whatever it was had, had put me into a, a panic mode, a shutdown mode. So he nodded and took off with me. We got everyone moving again. Some of them groaned and complained a bit about their lack of a full five-minute break, but that, that, that's not what mattered. What mattered was we got out of those woods as soon as we could. We made our way down the road, me still glancing over my shoulder every 30 seconds, still just waiting for the moment that those sounds would return. But they never did. And we kept walking and walking. And eventually, a familiar crunch could be faintly heard from above the hill that we were approaching. The head beams of the shuttle we had called for cast out across the forest and down onto the road. We, we made our way towards it eagerly. I... I might have been at a jog. I'm sure some of the kids had maybe picked up that something wasn't right and started to jog too, and maybe the adults had as well. But whatever the case, we quickly made our way to the bus. Got everything loaded fast as could be, strapped it down, probably 
not well enough to be safe, but that didn't matter. The driver of the shuttle, uh, another guy from the Outfitters that we work with pretty often, a kid by the name of Alex, he knew something was wrong. And I, I, I gave him the look that, you know, the we gotta go look. And I, he threw the bus in the gear, got ready to go, got it all turned around, situated. I was finishing up, loading the last of the people onto the bus, making sure everything was good to go. Dale had just gotten on in front of me, and it was my turn to hop on when that same sound from the night before, that same group of, of cries and yelps, and that same singular call, that same raspy, unnatural screech started coming from all around me, I suppose. I, If I could have put a point on it, maybe I could have seen what it was, but whatever it was, was, was close. And all the heads on the bus turned to look outside the window to see what it was, too. I, I wish I could have told them something. I wish I could have said, it's just the storm, that's why we need to leave. I, I wish I could have said that was just a deer, but there was nothing I could say. And that's what I said. I said nothing. None of us said anything, actually. We all hopped onto the bus with a similar knowing look towards each other that something was strange, and we made our way back to the closest thing to safety we had in quite a long ways. You made it out in a nick of time, it sounds like. No. I don't know how close it was to us. The acoustics are strange there, like I said, but... I would have said whatever they or it or whoever or whatever, I I don't know, it was, couldn't have been more than us. No, no, no space at all, given how quickly some, some, some animals can move. We, we made our way back up towards our outfitters. Everybody was rather quiet until... One of the adult leaders, I suppose, decided that silence wasn't the way he wanted to end his trip. So he stood up and had some cheery scout song going within a minute or two. It was strange. The feeling of all these young kids who were very easily distracted by singing a cheery, peppy song. And knowing what had happened. And having that strange looming feeling of eyes in the forest still lingering on us. Imagine, just I, just wow, just imagine trying to lead a group of children through the woods while possibly being hunted, but definitely not letting them know that anything, anything is wrong. Right. That I, would be difficult. I sat towards the front of the bus and, and began to explain to Alex the best I could. Alex was a veteran of the guide service, I'd say. He'd been around for maybe... 20 years before I had. He was no spring chicken at this point. Back in his young days, he'd do what we did, but at this point, he honestly probably didn't have enough stamina or physical capacity to traipse about the woods as intensely as we did, so he was relegated to the shuttle or short day trips. But he still had a great time. He'd always kind of been a sort of grandpa figure for the guide team, we'd been a close bunch. 
he, him to look at me in disbelief and say, oh, you're letting your mind get to you or any other wise old dismissive phrase that I could expect from someone who hadn't been there. But instead, he just kind of kept his eyes fixated on the road. I, I never, I never really knew exactly what, what he was going to say because of all the weird ways that he could have possibly responded to that, but what he did say surprised me. He said simply, I know. Which took me absolutely aback. I didn't respond for maybe 15 seconds. And when I did, it, it was a confused, what do you mean? He said, well, you're not the first one. Obviously, this was bizarre and confusing to me. So I, I just kind of stared at him through the mirrors in disbelief. He, I think, understood how confused and concerned I was, so he began to explain. He said that when he had first started working here, about my age, back in the late 80s, early 90s, he used to have a brother who worked with him on the guide service. Their dad had a, been in a similar point as mine, and had known the owner, and he and his brother would do essentially what me and Dale had done the whole time. This was already strange and confusing to me because I never knew that Alex had a brother, and, and for someone to work on the guide service and, and not be known by one of us, that was, that was just strange. He explained to me that his brother had had a very similar experience. And he had as well, where something was making noises, tearing through the woods, leaving these strange tracks and rabbits and deer and all these various animals laying around. And the way he described it made me shake. Not only because I had just experienced the same thing, but because the way he talked about it it was almost as if he was saying it was like as if he had watched what had happened to us and was describing it back to us it was such a mirror effect it's such a similar story that it, it was it was like uh, it was like some anomaly some glitch in the matrix it, it was bizarre it was it was strange he clearly saw my discomfort explained that you know after they'd gotten out his his brother had quit the guides it never came back. That's why I'd never seen him. This eased my nerves a bit. I admit I'd totally been expecting him to say that whatever it was had grabbed his brother in some grand, creepy ghost story adventure, but I guess the real answer was a bit more mundane than that. I... It was... It was, it was a very surreal feeling, because... I don't know. It, it's like, like I said, it's like he'd watched everything that happened to us unfold on a movie screen. And he'd predicted exactly what would happen to us or had known already. Our way back to our cabins, our, our base camp for, for the guide service. And we, uh, we unloaded all of, all of the equipment we got all the scouts to their vehicles and the like, the youth group. 
and we we got them all gone, made sure everything was paid for, taken care of, and began the process of of checking through all the equipment we'd loaned out. We through the canoes and all that to make sure you know nothing was damaged or nothing was left behind. And out quickly that in our hurry to get the canoes back on, we'd missed something the first time. I don't... The two kids on the youth group with us hadn't told us of what had happened, but perhaps maybe they were concerned there'd be repercussions, but one of the canoes, an old red plastic old town canoe been patched up a few times but the length of the canoe were these long deep punctures through them away it was caused by running over a rock these were sharp concise edges it was the same general feeling I had looking at the cuts that had been left in that deer. It, they were surgical. Like, like I said, something was just so purposeful and so graceful about, about the cuts that carved into the underside of this boat. I saw it. I dropped it and just When do you think well, those uh, cuts and, happened? Well, not paddled since since we arrived at the the private area for day two. It it must have happened sometime during the night when we were away from the campsite. That's the only time it could have. Otherwise, there's no way they could have made it down the stream with a boat like that. I. Both me and Dale came to a very similar realization at the same time of of that, you know, that, that that's when it had must have happened. That that's, you know, what if that whatever that whatever it was had gotten so close to our campsite that it was able to get where we had stashed the canoes not more than 50 feet from where we were sleeping and done that had been so powerful and precise in its movements that it carved these long cuts in this boat. It made enough noise to alert any of us to its presence. Well, definitely better the boat than the kids, we, but that was that was really close. Suppose so. I I don't like thinking about how sideways that could have gone, how quickly that could have gone sideways, how how, just how far sideways it could have gone. I mean, we had a lot of explaining to do to our boss about how in the world had we not noticed. I'd hoped he'd had the same reaction as Alex in that understanding, grandfatherly, wise old tone, but he'd had a... We knew that he wasn't the kind to be like that. He was the more stern you know, fact believer that we knew we were never be able to convince that all that had happened. 
when we got to our end of trip review of sorts, it was a it was a very awkward and strange feeling. The people there, some of them on the crew, had I'm sure had maybe understood what we'd experienced was strange, and some of them probably thought we were blubbering idiots who had a hallucination and made something up to explain some lapse in spotting a deep rock in in the river when we were paddling. I personally have not been back to that neck of the woods since then. That was my last trip of the summer. Given that it was early August and the guide service itself was closing soon, I only maybe had a day before I'd have to pack up all my belongings from the base camp and make my way away from it anyways. That last day was unlike any others. Until then, I never before, you know, had I ever felt unsafe or awkward in that camp before, but that time I just, I couldn't shake the feeling that it wasn't over, that something was still going to happen, that, you know, that, that I was somehow at fault for not figuring out what it was or something like that. I think I you did what you it. could do, and and you may have done the best in the situation, given what the situation was. I mean, there's not a lot you can do when the yeah. unknown comes close. I, I'm just glad that none of the attendees were hurt, that no one was forever deterred from stepping into the forest again, that, you know, nothing truly horrible happened to anyone. I slept uneasy that night at my little shared bunkhouse at the guide. And the next morning, I got up bright and early with everyone else. We said our goodbyes, shared some coffee over our last breakfast of a ridiculous amount of bacon and eggs. We made our way out. I drove home solemnly, alone, in an old pickup truck. While I was driving, I had plenty of time to reflect on I was still very shaken at this point, and even now, having it been years ago, I I still can't put an explanation to exactly what happens. I hear a lot of talk about these mythical creatures, these legends and all that, and I don't know. Before this, I, I was never a believer in things like that. I, I always knew there was something strange about, you know, the, the, such a big emptiness that was the woods tended to cultivate these strange happenings but to think that there was a creature a, a being a an entity with us that just hadn't occurred to me before so i do have some questions about your story um and a couple of the users here have questions as well um mostly regarding the explanation you might have to what caused this event. Uh, the I, first being from uh, Malum, a user in the chat, who asks, do you think it may have been a skinwalker? And if so, or if not, uh, what, do you th what do you think of the skinwalker legend? For me, the whole idea of you know, the mythical cryptids and creatures and bits and other bits of 
demons, whatevers, have really been nothing more than a campfire story. Something to bring up with a group of younger guys who maybe aren't scared anymore by your basic campfire stories, but bring in a uh, bring in a much better one, some more realistic stuff, and perhaps you might get a spook out of them. Right, yeah, Guarded I can them see that. As, as much past that, f- for me, and most people I, I worked with, and most people that I are around in you know, the outdoor community feel kind of similar. You'll get some people who are, are very into it, and, and some people who are, are very adamant deniers of it. But in general, they kind of lived on the fringe of that, that sort of outdoors culture. Maybe that's just in my area, but who knows. Either way, after I've, I've talked about this with other people, some of my more some of my more cryptid-oriented friends, I suppose, have brought up the possibility of it being a, a skinwalker, a wendigo, a whatever now, and it, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, it evokes a very similar feeling to what Alex had said on the bus, that it, it sounds like they're describing, you know, exactly what I had experienced. Some of them, to me, just seem like it'd make a perfect fit. I'm not saying by any means that's what I think for sure it was. I, I have to say that I'm still making up my mind on, on, um, whether or not it, it was just a, a bright coincidence, or whether or not, you know, I maybe truly, honestly experienced something like that. Um, if it, if it was a lot of coincidences, that was a bunch of coincidences in a row. And they right. they do really like to happen in a row, but I'm leaning towards something being out there right. myself. Something is something isn't right. That's all I can confirm. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, on to the next question. Uh, do you, in the end, for the sake of sounding crazy, even if you had to, even if you thought it was something paranormal, if you're willing to say it here, what is your go-to explanation for this event? Deep down, how would you explain it if you had to have an answer for it? Well, I'd say there's two paths to answer this question, a fork in the trail. I mentioned a lot about our facade, our mask of, of making up explanations. And, and given that I've had plenty of time to think about this, I have one. And I'm not sure if I've deep down convinced myself that that's what it was in spite of clear signs that it wasn't. But my best answer I can give at the moment is that perhaps... A, it was some kind of diseased, um, ill, mutated even, that's that's a stretch though, animal, wolf, bear, something. That wouldn't make a lot of sense to me, because why would one animal of a pack have these issues, and yet none of the other animals that were making noise had the same? Or perhaps was it all one entity that was making all the noises? That That's path two. Path two is that the one I I really honestly if I if I don't if I'm honest I don't want to think about that it was truly something that I can't explain that you can't explain that that no one can explain that it was something we don't know about that's just out there one of my greatest comforts one of the reasons I'm so comfortable in the forest is because you know in your everyday life there's things you can't control there's things you can't explain 
But when you're out there, everything's under your control. You can right. explain away you can everything. Be prepared you know, for if it. If you're cold, right? If you're cold, you can make a fire. If if you're lost, you can get your bearings. If there's a problem, there's a solution. And this clearly there uh, there's nothing like it. This took all it's, pillars it's a, of your comfortability right out from underneath you, didn't it? It, it? A little bit. I, I'd i have to say that the woods are still very much my refuge, and I still spend a very large amount of time in them. But I've not gone back to the guide service since, and I've stared out of the particular area where this happened. I've been back to the park, but not that area. Not that club. Yeah, I don't blame you for uh, avoiding it. Now, uh, a couple of users have some more questions in the chat. Uh, Fear the Dark asks, If you were close enough, what did the smell smell like? If, if it was a smell... If you are ever close enough to smell the creature itself. Or the entities, I mean. And did it have an oppressive or dark feeling or energy about it? Um... Uh, well, strangely enough, I can really remember some of these smells rather well. The other one, death, you know, you don't truly forget that one, but the most accurately, I suppose I could describe it based on my potentially flawed memory of the event would be that it, it was kind of a mixture between a couple. I had a friend who worked in a dog kennel for a very long time and one of the services they offered was you could clean a stray dog for free you could bring it in and they would clean it and take care of it and try to find it an owner very often the place where we lived they'd bring in these mangy cut up poor little dogs that their fur was just overgrown and awful and i remember stopping by to see this friend one day and she'd been working on one of them and it was a very similar smell if I can recall, the the smell of 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 wounds that that had not been treated, possibly even gangrene, the, the smell of you know wet kind of musty animal, I suppose. It, it was kind of similar to that. The smell that of mixed rot. in with the smell of fair, yeah, kind of. That mixed in with the smell of, uh, I suppose, the deaths of the the two deers. I I don't know if perhaps that was the smell of them or. If mm, it, I've realized that it would not have been. Hmm. I've come to an interesting realization that kind of is a little concerning. Um, the deer, given that they were so shiny and freshly killed, should not have had a smell that rotting about them. Right. Whatever it was, the death smell—the smell of death—sure, that that that's a given. But the only way that smell should have been there was if whatever was giving off that smell was close enough for me to smell it. Something left its scent, perhaps, when it had attacked the deer. Maybe, maybe. I don't want to think of that. Possibly, it was still around when we were investigating i oh oh, either fortunately or unfortunately you'll never quite know how close you came to those things i think i think i'm much much better off not knowing 
Right. So moving on, uh, I do know that you do write in your free time, and you have taken commissions to do some creative writing, creative writing before. Uh, so in the chat, Giaccio asks, "Is this an experience that drove that drove you into creative writing?" Say yes. I'd say very much so. Um, it, I, this was one of the first ones I put pen to paper on. Um, for those who are, are not quite familiar with some of my background, I write a fair bit under the alias The Woodsman for um, this uh, the YouTube channel. I, I've put a few in. And uh, aside from that, I've written for other people before. And I, I do a lot of you know woods-based creepy stuff. I, I'd written before that, but usually it was if I'm being honest, not very good fantasy stuff. Um, but prior to this, I'd never tried to write horror. Um, this one was the first truly horror-based thing I'd, I'd ever done. Um, I it, it got me on the spur of doing it. I, I found that I enjoyed it so much more than anything else because I knew it. I, you know, I've, I've hiked all my life. I knew what it was like for something like that to happen. And the way I get most of my stories is I go to uh, communal campgrounds or hiking towns, things like that. Or I just hike and meet other hikers. And I ask them for their best stories. And I get their stories on paper and later write them out. Um, so that... It, it was almost like I shared an experience with some of those people. You're part of the group and now. I, I could uh, feel, unfortunately. I, I guess. It, it felt like I was some part of some weird, twisted, untalked about club of some kind. Right. So, as a guide, has this experience changed how you perform? Um, yes. I don't guide anymore. I quit guiding after this. The closest thing I've done to doing that was working as a camp counselor last summer. I decided that after this, I wasn't quite happy with the way I reacted, and if I were to return to it, it'd be a couple years before I truly trusted myself not to freak out. I might return to it this next summer, but probably not through the same service, even Honestly, though I miss I, those guys a lot. I think you blame yourself a little bit too much. Anyone in that Maybe. situation would not, not overreact. You kind of have to. And certain horrific scenarios where you have no explanation and things are dying around you, there's not much you can do but freak out. Fair enough. But you did. Something was just, something shook me out of it. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get back to it one day. But for now, I'll stick to on my own. Yeah, but hey, I think you did well. <clears throat> now, if you had any advice to give us people who love to go outdoors who love to hike, who love to camp, what would that advice be? I actually, I, I get that question fairly often. Um, my best advice would be to be safe. The outdoors has changed my life in ways that I could not begin to describe. It's free therapy for me. And it's it's wonderful. Anyone and everyone can benefit from outside more and I I hope that stories like this don't deter some people from from getting out to their local trails I've hiked maybe probably pushing 
500 miles over the course of my time outdoors and slept outside countless, countless nights. This was the first time that I personally have experienced something this strange and anomalous. Um, it's, it's, it's truly a rarity. Don't be discouraged from going out because people like me, you know, have their campfire stories, I suppose. Know what you're doing and, and plan ahead so that you are safe. Take someone with you who knows what they're doing, possibly. Um, if you're a first-timer, do some research. Um, there, there's something called uh, Leave No Trace that I recommend all people get into. Um, just my best advice is to get out and do it, but be safe while you do it. If, if people are anything like me, they're those weirdos who, when they hear a story like yours and they get scared by it, I just want to go camping right away. I, I want to be scared by something that doesn't make much sense. But I okay. think when the time comes and that does happen to me, I'll probably regret it. But uh, hey, I appreciate you coming on today. I really appreciate your story. It was a really good, long, epic one. Um, if people wanted to follow your social media and hear more about your day-to-day -day life or expeditions, how could they reach out to you? Well, the best way for them to get me would be on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Jack underscore Spaded, S-P-A-D-E-D. Uh, aside from that, um, spend a lot of time on the Darkness Trails Discord, which I'm sure will probably get linked somewhere, uh, with the username Jack Spades. Uh, aside from that, uh, if you ever hear a story written by someone called The Woodsman, that's probably me, unless, you know, someone decides it's theirs now. But, yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much, Jack. Give it up for Jack, everyone. Um, <clears throat> next time you're out in the woods, be safe. And I appreciate the story once again. I want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in for our first episode of In the Woods. Be sure to follow or favorite the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And be sure to check the description or show notes as to how you can share your tale. Until next time. Beware the woods.